Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jane. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. Where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Karingai and Darug people, traditional custodians of the land where I'm recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge Mana Whenua of Te Awa Kairangikitai, where I'm recording today. Yay! It's a one-shot! Woo, we love these. Yes. Uh, so today we're casually chatting about Scott Pilgrim, which is one of our favorite movies. We loosely read the text through the themes of closure and arrogance, but we're not going to be too fussed about sticking to the script. No. Uh, Jen, would you like to give us the back of the DVD summary? Sure thing. So Scott Pilgrim is a 20-something slacker who plays bass for the scrappy indie band Sex for Bomb. He falls in love with an American girl named Ramona Flowers and realizes that he must defeat her seven evil exes in order to date her. In a universe that behaves like a real-life video game. This is a very fun movie, and I really enjoy it. And I feel like that description of it, that blurb, does not encapsulate all of the good stuff about this movie. No, this movie is incredible, and it honestly pains me that it did not do better when it came out. Like, it was such a sleeper. I think it's a bit of a cult classic. Like, the people who love it, love it, right? Mm-hmm. But it never got as big as I think it deserves to be because in terms of its technical execution, it's actually phenomenal. Like, yes. the editing in this film is off the charts. The editing, the way that the graphics are interspersed with all of the like all of the text overlays, the way that in the older versions of Ramona's relationships, they go back to the comic book, but, like, then mm-hmm. that stops mm-hmm. as she gets, like, more current. Like, it's really, really beautifully done. And the transitions are so good. It really like struck me in this one particular moment where Scott was just turning around and he was saying that he's not going to think about Envy anymore and he turns his back. And when the turn happens, it's actually Stephen. And Stephen's Mm. saying that, oh, we've been asked to open for Clash of the Demon Head. And it's such a smooth transition, but it's so good. Like it has so much momentum, this film. It never stands still. Like you're never wondering where it's going. It's just constantly moving. So good. So good. That's an Edgar Wright thing, right? Because don't you feel like... Mm. Shaun of the Dead, and my, my favorite of his is Hot Fuzz. Like, I could watch that one pretty much any time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, like, endlessly quotable as well. But just the way that they move, the the films that he makes move through the spaces that they inhabit is just something else. It's a really brilliant way of making a film. Very dynamic. And, yeah, you did mention that there are comic bits in this because it is obviously based on the comic by mm. Brian O'Malley, which we love as well. I love that we do so many adaptations as one-shots, weirdly. <laughs> Yeah, we kind of do. Hey, maybe adaptations is the one shots we've been doing the whole time. But yeah, yeah, the comics are really good and quite different in some ways. But I was just having like a flick through the first one. And a lot of the movie is actually like shot for shot. It's very true to the text. It's a very faithful adaptation, I feel. And spirit, like obviously there's some changes, but. But like Wallace is a broom and the way it's described and the way it's filmed is exactly the same as you see it in the comic I think it might be mirror reversed but like it is a wood paneled room with all of the things that are described I love that introduction as well how you've got the boxes that pop up that says mm. what Wallace owns you know it's like ding 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 Wallace's it's coat so better <laughs> it is great and it, you get this idea that well so a bit of backstory for Scott is that his parents have actually sold the house he grew up in and that's why he doesn't have anywhere to live because he like his parents have actually moved to Europe or something 
Um, so he's just kind of floating around, and instead of being able to be a slacker who lives with his parents, he's a slacker who lives with Wallace. It's <laughs> basically across the road from Wallace where he used to live. <laughs> is amazing. I love Wallace. He is my favorite. He is just Captain Snark, and I'm here for it. Yes, he's always got something funny to say, and I mean, I am an unapologetic lover of Kieran Culkin. I actually really love Kieran and Macaulay Culkin. I think that they are both actors who as child actors kind of had to deal with a lot growing up and have just absolutely volleyed that into some kind of like really deadpan amazing comedic roles i know that kieran is in uh succession and i've watched a bit of Mm -hmm. it but everyone's horrible to everyone else in that show so it's really hard for me to sit through but yeah kieran culkin's got he's got such good range but i mean this okay can we talk about the cast because there are so many amazing people in this film like before they were famous people oh it's so good yeah You've got Anna Kendrick, yes. Brie Larson, mm-hmm. Brandon Ruth, of course, and then Chris Evans. Like, I Chris think Evans. the fact that Brandon Ruth and Chris Evans, Chris Evans playing like a parody of an action star, which he ends up being, is yes. just incredible. Um, Kieran Culkin, obviously, you mentioned Aubrey Plaza, who we all adore and love. Um, and Bill Hader is apparently the voice, like the video game voice. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Because I was like, who is who's doing the voice i looked it up and it's bill Hader. but yeah i mean so many great actors i especially love that jason schwartzman who is you know from Mm. rushmore he's been like the indie film darling all of the wes anderson movies and he turns up in the comic book version of a wes anderson movie which just makes my heart so happy yeah it is weird to see him and not a wes anderson i thought that as well and um also you know this was mary elizabeth winstein's first film really i just love her so much i she was in the fourth Die Hard, and I was like, I love her with long hair and a fringe. She's um, the Huntress mm-hmm. and Harley Quinn, and I was like, I love her. It's a prey, yep. Being amazingly hot and shooting arrows at people. She's great. Um, and Ellen Wong, who is 25 when this was filmed, plays a 17-year-old so well. I just have to say she gets that. Like, you don't often get 25-year-olds who can play 17-year-olds, but, like, I believed her as a 17-year-old. Major problem. She's also so beautiful. Like- yes. She's just so adorable. And her face, like the way that she emotes. There were a few really beautiful moments with her, especially the, um, when there, you know, she goes, oh, I just came to see your show. And like Anthem for a 17 year old girl by Broken Social Scene is playing very softly in the background. And Scott's like, okay. And he's like a jerk about it, but he's not mean. He's just a jerk about it. Like her face and the way that she looks and her emotions. I was just like, oh, you're too good for him. Oh, I love her so much. I love her. I love Which, her. You know, Wallace t- says to her, you're too good for him. Absolutely. And he is correct. I don't think he's wrong very often. Should we talk about what happens? Yeah, go for it. Okay, so the movie dumps us into Scott Pilgrim is dating a high schooler. And he's 22, so this is pretty sus. But he's also not the kind of gross guy who dates a high schooler because he wants to date a high schooler, I guess? No, he's dating a high schooler because he doesn't actually want to get involved, right? He wants something that's easy, that requires no effort from him. That's Mm -hmm. why he's doing it. Like, she's impressed by everything he does. It makes him feel good. You know, when he tells her the Pac-Man story, she's like, oh, wow. And like they're playing video games together and he doesn't really have to engage with her as a real person. Yeah. So I thought that, too. And I think the way that I approached it was not this is a creepy dude, because listen, if you're 17 and you're listening to this podcast and a 22 year old guy is hitting on you, run away. Hmm. 
just know he's probably not going to be Scott Pilgrim. I can say that now. So the scene where he's making out with Ramona and she says, oh, we're not going to like actually officially go all the way. And and he's like, oh, I think I just needed this. Like, this is what I needed. This is just really nice. Like, I feel like that's what he's trying for with knives. Like, he's really trying to have that just that tender companionship. But like, you just it's not going to work. I think you're right about him also just really wanting like somebody to be like, yeah, you're awesome. Because he does think he's awesome. He's very, uh, shall I say, arrogant about that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think even in that scene where, you know, the band are meeting Knives for the first time and Kim is so unimpressed, like both Kim and Wallace and his sister are very clear that he should not be dating a high schooler, that it's weird and he should feel bad about it, right? Like he's using Knives and they're not letting him get away with it, which I love. Like this text does not excuse his behavior, which I think is very important. Yeah. Um, When Kim is sitting there and they're all going, oh, Knives is so awesome. Like she's so cool. And Kim is like, if your life had a face, I'd punch it. (laughs) And he's like, what? I'm so hurt. And she's like, you hurt. Because obviously he's been very callous in his treatment with people previously. And he's just like, let's go back to telling, you know, saying how awesome Knives is. And everyone else is like, Neil and Steven are like, yeah, awesome. Because that's all he wants. He doesn't want to be criticized. He doesn't want to engage on a real level. He just wants to be told Mm -hmm. he's amazing and everything is fine. And he doesn't have to grow (laughs) up or deal with anything real. Yeah. He wants to stay in like slightly more comfortable stasis, I think. Um... Should we talk about the band a little bit? This is more your thing. I think the music is much more your arena. Um, Yeah, so all of the music was composed by Beck, right? He's Mm. the one who actually wrote the songs. I love the music in this. It's like really good songs. You know, that Black Sheep song, the Metric song that was in this, originally they didn't even release it. And then they re-released it after this because people are like, "Uh, this song is amazing. Mm-hmm. The one that Brie Larson does. It's just really good music. And even the, uh, what what are they called? Crash and the Boys. <laughs> that's <Yes>. so ridiculous. <laughs> so sad. And that's the whole song. It's so good. Like, it's so, it's like, it's a parody of all of this kind of pretentious music stuff. Yeah. But it's still a homage and a love letter to it as well. Like, it's parodying, but it's still acknowledging that, yeah, we still love it. You know? Yeah. It's great. It, it's like a real loving snapshot of that scene at that time and I love because it is set in Toronto it is a Canadian movie I had a big broken social scene like probably 2006 2007 they were the band I listened to the most we didn't have Spotify wrapped back then but that would have been my mm-hmm. top artist I'm pretty sure and I've seen them live too so I I felt like a lot of love for the scene music scene in this because that was kind of an adjacent like I was in Australia at the time mm. but you had a lot of adjacent music scene vibing going on so I really did kind of feel like there are definitely guys like Como who are like yeah but you know their first album was better than their first album. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. N- young Neil totally. saying, you have to see them live after he's just watched the show live. <laughs> There's always that guy. But also the fact that the music is so much a part of everything they do. That really speaks to me because that was a scene I lived for a long time. Yeah, no, I think that was very true to life. And I think also, you know, my theme for this film was arrogance. And I think that arrogance from the hipster. Yes. You know, who always think their opinion is the only one that matters and is just going to share it with you whether you want it or not. And I think um, Aubrey Plaza's character, Julie, in this is like that as well. Like, very mm-hmm. arrogant, very forceful, being like, too cool for school, you know. But, yeah. Yeah. I love it. It's so good. <laughs> I love her. I love her protectiveness, but also just her irritation with Scott. I, th- there are a lot of people who are irritated with Scott, but it doesn't land, really. Mm. Yeah. I think he's afraid of Julie. Like, I do get the vibe that he's a bit like, oh, because he, you know, he specifically calls his sister to see if she's at work. And then she go- he goes in and <laughs> Julie's there and he's like, oh, God, what have you done with my sister? And why do you work everywhere? And she's like, it's a job because he obviously doesn't have one. And it's such a pointed thing. And the fact that, you know, he's 
jerked around so many women and she's just done with it. She's done with him and mm. you get the idea that he's just this guy that skates by on his charisma and people like him and he carries on, but yeah. No, and he does have a lot of charisma. Even Michael Sarah, who look, he's not my favorite. I this is probably a very controversial opinion, but he's okay. He was just in mm. everything for a while. Well, in this time period, yeah. He played the same character in everything. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the actual comic Scott Pilgrim, the one in Brian Lee O'Malley's books, is a different person to me, much more rascally. Whereas Michael Sarah's like, hey, I'm charming, but kind of dumb. That's the vibe I get from him. And I don't think it fits with like what he's meant to be. But that's just my little nitpick. But yeah, I just I love that so many amazing people were in this film to pull him up on stuff. And I love that all of the different characters, like his sister was still being kind, but she was also like, this is unacceptable. And like, Wallace is like, you got to move out. You got to move out. You got like they're trying to help him get on with things, but they're also really sensitive to the fact that Envy basically crushed him like a bug. Mm. Mm. So, I mean, doesn't his sister say like, "Is this legitimately you moving on, or are you just crazy?" And he's like, "I don't really know how to answer that." Yeah, can I can I get back to you on that? Mm. And then you know, Stephen says to Julie at the party, "Scott's officially moved on. His mourning period's over." And she's like, "No, dating a high school girl is the mourning period." Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. I do get the vibe that he's like very cut up still about it. Like he is still sort of in the the moving on phase and it's Ramona that really pushes him over. Like Nive is just sort of something that to help him build up his self-esteem, but I really don't think he's yeah. emotionally engaging with her. Like that's why it's so easy for him to just flick the switch and like move on. Yeah, he was trying it out, but it's like it was like he was dating, but then he met somebody he really wanted to be with, but then he didn't know how to stop the dating part. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because he didn't want to... Well, he runs from consequences, right? Like, he is too afraid of conflict. Yeah. I had a, a bit of a thing about him and Envy. I think the movie makes it out to be like, it's this really awful thing. But I don't know if I get that vibe. Do you know what I mean? So, I don't know. I was trying to look at it through the lens of closure. Like, does he need closure on this Envy thing? Like, does he need that? Does he get that in the movie? And I don't think he does get that in the movie. I think he's already dealt with it, and he's just feeling really glum about it. So I don't know if him seeing Envy again is actually this, like, cathartic moment. I think we're meant to think it is, but is it? What do you think? I don't think he's over at all. Like, I think he's still very much dwelling in the pain. The fact that no one in his circle wants to say a name, when she Mm. calls him and Wallace hears her name, he's immediately, like, in panic stations. Like, everyone obviously responds to him in that situation as if it's going to destroy him which makes me think that he had the Bella after Edward left sitting in the chair staring out the window months passing moment right like this is what I envisioned for Scott like and the fact that he's dating knives is a big step forward but also still worrying because she is a high schooler and I do think that they worry the fact that Envy is back on the scene is going to make him slide back and he does panic a little bit but I don't think he's like he's wanting to get back with her or anything like that it just hurts like it just hurts yeah, just sucks. Seeing her? Yeah. I think also knowing that, like, he's in the same place, sharing a studio apartment with a guy and his boyfriend. And, you know, she's off touring lots of places, successful band, looking very hot. Like, that's that, that hurts. That sucks. Yeah, and she's in this band with the guy that she left you for, you know, who is also hot. So <laughs> He is hot, even with his terrible hair. I love his vegan hair. <laughs> I like it when it was up in veganness, but when it was down, it was just terrible. <laughs> so funny. No frosted tips. Did Pacey teach us nothing? It just cracks me up that it's, yeah, it's just weird. It's just weird that Superman and Captain America are in this film. 
Yes. And I, what was the last thing Captain I've seen? Marvel. Brandon Ruthin. Yeah. Yes. It's like a. Oh, it's amazing. And Aubrey Plaza, who is. Oh, she's not. Isn't she in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as well? She do a thing. Oh, there's not so that many. I know of. Yeah, Brandon Ruth's a great actor, and he's got way more comedic timing than anybody gives him credit for, and I want him to play more comedy roles. I like that Envy's actually not happy that Scott has started seeing someone. It feels like whatever she felt for Todd, it's she's like they're still together, and she still likes him, but she also had this real connection with Scott, and there's a moment where at, at one point he says, you know, her name. He says, Natalie, and she goes, no one's called me that for a really long time. And he goes, well, maybe somebody should. Like, I think it's important when you are famous or, like, I don't know, successful, that you keep people in your life who've known you before as well. So you don't get this tunnel vision of, like, I'm talking to Ramona. You know what I mean? She gets really snobby and she's awful. And she does, I think, whatever she felt for Scott, that's fine. It's not not over for her either. I just don't know if either of them got any closure. Yeah, I feel like she definitely loses touch with reality a little bit, right? Because she's living mm-hmm. this. She she wanted to create this alter ego for her. She wanted a life that was bigger than the one that she was living. And part of that for her was leaving Scott, like leaving him behind, moving yeah. on with Todd. But I think there is a, a element of when you return back to the place where it all started, there is a bit of nostalgia, there is a bit of regret. And I do actually really feel for her because Scott kills Todd and then she's like, cool, you've not only ruined... Her relationship, but also her band. <laughs> like, dude. Is he dead, though? Or is he just at, like... I think they... Because there is a point where she said he's going to kill you. Like, and people keep saying to Scott, you have to fight them. This is life or death. So, I guess they're dead. I don't Which know. turns him into a murderer. Like, he's murdered, like, seven <laughs> people. Like, come on, Scott. It's a bit darker yeah. if you think of it like that. I think of it as defeating them. I don't think they're like dead dead, but I think of them as defeated. So Matthew says in his email, it's a fight to the death. You've just not read it. Just like Scott, you just skimmed it. <laughs> that is also one of my favorite moments when he's reading this email and he's like, this email is boring. And it's like this detailing so all the things boring. he has to know. <laughs> just like- Delete me at work. Read the email. It's early enough in the times of the internet that you can still read the email. Yeah, it cracks me up. And then when he, you know, Matthew is fighting him and he's like, didn't you get my email? And Scott has that moment where he could have, you know, taken a pause, but he's like, I skimmed it. And Wallace is like, mm-mm. <laughs> and then Matthew accuses him of being insolent, which, you know, is a Fair. type, uh, a subtype of arrogance, I think, a, a side effect of arrogance, being insolent. And I reckon yeah. Scott is very arrogant in how he approaches things. Like, he thinks he can do whatever he wants with face no consequences, so... Yeah. On this theme of arrogance, I think, mm. you know, he thinks that he can date knives with no consequences. He doesn't think yeah. he needs to do anything about it, or he doesn't think about the things that he has done to other people. Like, he talks about the relationship he had with Kim, and he's like, we're fine now. And obviously mm. Kim is not fine, but he's yeah. just, like, oblivious to it. He doesn't listen to anyone either. He only cares about himself. Like what Wallace is trying to tell him about this guy he met, he just keeps talking about Ramona. He just doesn't listen, refuses to break up with knives because it would inconvenience him. There's a real white male arrogance to his behavior. Yeah. He's very lucky in that. He, he does skate by. I think that's actually the thing is he skates by. Like I know that he's meant to be like bumbling and charming, but I found him a little pushy and I was really annoyed by the fact that he like held her hostage at his door Yeah. in order to get that first date with Ramona. He really likes her because he's seen her a couple times. And also she did skate through his dreams, which I think would probably make me more predisposed to be like, well, this person is fated. 
to be in my mm. life if I've dreamt about them before I've seen them. But he's just kind of like a little pushy for me. I felt a little pushy. Like he could get away with it, so he was getting away with it. And that bugged me. Mm. More of the arrogance, I think. She yeah. told him no like four different times, and he just kept asking. Yeah, and then he's like, I won't sign for this package because then you'll leave. And she's like, yeah, that's how it works. But I do love that she's very deadpan and she doesn't really put up with him. You know, like when he's telling her the story about Pac-Man at the party and she's just staring at him and she's mm. like, okay. And he's like, I'll leave you alone forever now. And she's like, thank you. <laughs> like, I honestly, as I was watching this movie, I'm like, oh, Jen is Ramona. You have the most <laughs> Ramona energy. It's so good. I was like, oh, this is like, she's totally fine. She's not being rude at all. I was like, she's just like Jen. I loved it. It made me so happy. Yeah. I could see you absolutely just deadpanning somebody at a party like that. I mean, I, yeah, I have 100% done that. Because, well, she doesn't owe him anything. Like, she doesn't Mm. owe him a performance. I think sometimes people do these things and they like trying to impress you and they feel like you should owe, you owe them a reaction. And why? She didn't, she didn't ask for it. She didn't want to do anything. And... He's like, I'll leave you alone forever. And she's like, cool, thanks. And then he stalks her throughout the entire night until she leaves the party. Yeah. Like, it's such an invasion. He's actually very annoying. Super annoying. Also, don't do this. I mean, it's not like Me too or anything, but it's a little edge case. I think that, like, yeah, I mean, you could make your case that you have a bad first impression. It shouldn't be the only chance you get or whatever. But also, if someone is not vibing with you, it's really weird to just keep following them. It is until... the kind of classic male fantasy where if the girl says no, just keep asking and eventually she'll say yes. I really resent when media teach men this because mm. I have had this experience where I've very clearly asserted my boundaries and turned someone down and they'll just keep going. And it is incredibly frustrating, especially when they are nice people, but still. They get yeah. this idea in their heads that because of media, that if they just keep asking, eventually you'll realize. Maybe we can just all carry texts around. And when they do that, we can just lean forward and write on their shirts. No. <laughs> on their foreheads, I feel like, rather. <laughs> yes. Yes. Just like, no, this is your permanent reminder that this is a no. I, there's just not enough ability to respect the no. No is a complete mm. sentence. Mm. And it doesn't require an explanation. And she's trying, like, this is the other thing. Ramona came to Toronto to not have a boyfriend, to not be in any relationships. And then immediately kind of gets, like, charmed into one with Scott. So I really felt for her in that, like, if she was seeking some kind of closure from her other relationships, trying to be on her own for a little while, does she get that if she's then dating this guy? And he's nice, sure, but also, eh? I do also think he has a perceived idea of Ramona, right? So this is why the hair thing froze him so much, because he thinks he's getting into a certain type of situation. It's like the manic pixie dream girl, you know, who thinks she's so cool. She has this reputation. Everyone, she's a cool new girl, the cool American who's moved to the scene. Everyone's trying to get a piece of her. And so he has an idea of what she is, and he thinks that's what he's getting involved with. But she is a real person with real flaws and real baggage. And that is what the film is really saying is like people are complicated. And Ramona is complicated. She's not just, she's not like Knives, the way he treats Knives as well as like a caricature of this high school person. But Knives has real feelings too. And he has to, he has to get used to that. He has to treat them like real people. And he has to acknowledge to himself that he has to be a real person as well. He can't be this caricature of a band guy living in a basement, you know? So in terms of closure... I want to talk about Kim Pine. She's kind of my favorite because she has this ongoing relationship with Scott 
and he never apologized for like the mm. awful way that their actual relationship relationship ended but they have a friendship that still goes on like she's in a band with him voluntarily and she just never lets him get away with stuff I don't think that she expects to get any closure from him. She has a very low opinion of him, but I think she gets it in the end. So I don't know. Mm. What, what's your take on that? Kim's my favorite. So I want to, I love, I want to talk about Kim, of course. Yeah, I love Kim as well because she does call him out on things. And you see this all the time where men think they're totally fine and everything's fine and they don't have to apologize for something and they can just carry on with their lives. And another person is obviously suffering. You know, mm-hmm. and I do agree with you that I think she just accepts that she needs to take it as it is because she does have a low opinion of him, and therefore it doesn't. He can't hurt her anymore because she's just like he is the scum of the earth, right? As she yeah. says. But I, I do love that moment when he apologizes for everything. He apologizes for him, and you get that little smile from her. Yeah, she softens. I really love that moment because Scott realizes, you know, when Ramona says it's not me, you should have been fighting for. And, you know, Scott earns the power of self-respect. Because at the end of the day, Mm. you have to fight for yourself. He needs to fight for a life that he actually wants to live, not just exist in. And that includes treating people like they matter. And that's what he finally starts doing. Yeah. Which I think is, it's a great moral. It is. It's beautiful because he's able to let go of the band as well in that moment. Mm. And then he's able to be really frank with both Knives and Ramona about the fact that he dated them at the same time and didn't tell either of them. Yeah, whereas in the first go, he's kind of like, I didn't cheat on you, Ramona. You know, you weren't wronged. And even as he's saying it, he's like, hmm. (laughs) Hmm." Yeah. But it's because he never really thought that he was dating Knives. Like, he talks about it to Wallace, right? Where he's like, she's not allowed out at night. So it's not really dating. And Wallace is like, it's more like playtime. And he's like, oh, that doesn't sound good either. (laughs) (laughs) So in a way, he's already like, he doesn't see it as the same thing because he didn't feel the way about mm. knives that he feels about Ramona. He never wanted it to be the same. But it's not knives, an equal relationship. Yeah, but he strung her along and she's like in love with him. Like that's horrible. Yeah. Do you know, me and knives were peaches and gravy and then that little echoey no in the background. Mm. It's so heartbreaking. But then I think it's a little bit arrogant of knives to think that she can dye her hair and start dressing like Ramona and then she'll just like win Scott back by starting to date young Neil. Mm. Like, that's a little bit arrogant. And, like, also quite mean to then use Neil like that as well. Yeah. But Neil actually likes Knives, too, so maybe their friendship will go on. Like, he actually quite enjoys talking to her and likes her as a person, which I think is really nice. I Like, I don't get weird vibes from him. Although he then did play, like, a serial killer on Elementary much later, and I was like, <laughs> young Neil, you've fallen so far. I think that Scott starts to see Knives as a person once he's had his power of self-respect experience. Mm. Yeah, so I think that at the end, by the end of it, Scott's like, hey, you're actually a person and I will give you that respect that you should have had from the beginning. Because they're talking like they're peers and and then she says, go after her. I'm way too cool for you anyway, which is 100% true. Like, whatever Knives is going off to do in her life, it's going to be way better than what Scott Pilgrim could offer her. Yeah, and it's interesting when Ramona walks away in that moment as well because she's kind of like, you know, I, I just hurt people and I just need time right and he's like no I'm fine she's like not I'm not just talking about you because she's also inadvertently hurt knives right yeah yeah although she didn't do anything to knives no Scott hurt knives and like Ramona was part of that but it wasn't her fault I guess I mean that's a tricky one they didn't know about each other there was no knowledge well she she did take that shortcut through his head though is that an arrogant thing to be like yeah I'm just gonna use the shortcut I feel like you should ask consent if you're gonna be running through someone's subconscious 
That is fair. That is absolutely fair. I think that's why she eventually said, yeah, she would hang out with them. Like maybe there was like a fundamental compatibility that she was already aware of. And then she was mm. like, no, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. And then she's like, actually, I can skate through this guy's subspace highway. So maybe it wouldn't be so bad. Yeah. And I mean, she was dealing with her own baggage as well. Like she didn't want to come into a relationship the way she did with others. Like when she talks about her past relationships, you know, there's that moment mm-hmm. where she's like, I was only with Lucas until or I was only with whoever it was until Lucas no I was only with Lucas until Todd walked by right so she's like yeah falling from one relationship into the other but then Gideon did manipulate her he did implant this chip in her head which is really messed up also Todd punching a hole in the moon is incredibly arrogant I'm just saying that (laughs) come on mate (laughs) and he punched a second one in the moon for envy didn't he Mm. in the comics he did I think it is nice how in the in every shot of the moon in the movie, there's a hole in it. Mm. Do you think that Ramona gets closure with any or all of her exes? I have thoughts about this, but I want to know what yours are. Mm, I'm going to say yes. I think she's a bit like Scott in that she just runs away at the end. Like she doesn't deal mm-hmm. with the consequences of the action. So the fact that they've come back and she has to face that, oh, okay, Yes, I was a horrible person. I feel like she was already on that journey and she was trying to move on, but it's good to... I think it's good to see them. I think it's hard for her because Scott becomes such a jerk about it. Like, by the time we get to Todd, he's not very kind about it. Um, Which I think is hard for her to deal with. Well, the post-Roxy fight, he's really nasty to her. Like, he says yeah. some really unforgivable things in that yeah. in that after party. Yeah, when he's like, is there, is there anyone at this party you haven't been with? It's so horrible. Right? It's awful. And she's like, yeah, we should go. Because it's just not a good scene. And he just treats her so appallingly. I agree that she didn't owe him anything, especially after that. Like, if you can't rein it in and play nice, even when you're frustrated. It's not her fault, right? Like... Like, sure, maybe she was badly behaved in these relationships and she didn't treat people kindly, but she doesn't deserve them forming a league and coming after her and making any other relationships that she tries to have a living nightmare. Like, this is kind of abusive in a way for them to keep invading her present like this, regardless of what she did to them. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And it isn't even about her. This is the worst part, is it's about Gideon. Gideon. It's about him keeping her. Because he goes on this rant at the end. He's like, you know how long it took me to get everyone's contact details? Two hours. And it's just about having the aloof, hip girl back who left him. It's not even about her specifically. Mm. It's about retaining someone that walked away from him. Yeah. And it's just awful. Like, he's just literally awful. So. Well, he is yeah. so arrogant, right? Like, everything about him is arrogance personified. He just thinks he is king of the castle. Like, that whole, in that rant, right? He's like, I'm what's hip. I'm what's happening. I'm blowing up right now. Like, he. It's yeah. all about him. It's. He's the center of the universe. The ultimate hipster D bag. Yeah, there's some link between being pretentious and arrogant, right? Like, those two things. Yeah. Very close together. It's wanting to be confident, but not like it's like a false arrogance, right? Because arrogance can be knowing your capability, but also overestimating your own capability. Which is great because we actually, that's a nice transition to Lucas. Lucas Lee knows that he's a really good skater. He's Mm, very mm -hmm. arrogant about that. You know, he's got that swagger. Wallace says he used to be a pretty good skater. Now he's a pretty good actor. Mm. But he's also like good about his stunt people. You know, I'm nothing without my stunt team. So he acknowledges that he is a a production. But I do love that he's like, I'm more than pretty good. I have my own skate company. (laughs) And then 
<laughs> when Wallace is like, I'm a big fan, and he says, why, why wouldn't, wouldn't you, you be? be? <laughs> that was another you moment. I was like, this is something I could totally see Jen be saying to someone. <laughs> but yeah, that's like arrogance that comes from being good at what you do. Yeah, job well done. Absolutely. But he's still not confident enough to not do the stupid grindy thingy yeah, on that rail over there. <laughs> his ego gets over it, right? Like he can't yeah. he can't not do the thing. And then you've got the arrogance of Todd, which comes from like being vegan. vegan. <laughs> Envy says, you know, short answer, being vegan just makes you better than most people. <laughs> Okay, so the the fact that they lampoon this stuff, having an actor skater who's really good at everything, but that he's like still fallible, and then having this really good, smart, good-looking, attractive, successful bassist who then gets done by the vegan police for not being vegan. But like they lampoon that, like, I'm better than you because I eat a certain way, or yeah, I'm better yeah. than you because I can do things better. I love that they just take that apart. Yeah, and the same with Todd as well. They also lampoon that kind of rock star behavior. Like, I can do whatever I want. I'm a rock star. Like, I'm not afraid to punch a yeah. girl. I'm a rock star. And then and he's like, you're incorrigible. I don't know the meaning of the word. He, he really, really doesn't. doesn't. <laughs> so good, right? It is. It's very good. And like, this is why I think he's so great in that role. Like, Brendan Root's amazing, actually, because he can embody that, like, himbo kind of thing. Like, there's a himbo vibe, but he's not, like, mm-hmm. a good himbo. It's great. I just want to give a shout-out to Nye's best friend, who is just the MVP. Like, she is there when she's <laughs> dying her hair. She's going along to the sex bomb show. She's just, mm-hmm. like, this long-suffering person. She probably thinks that Scott is the worst, but she just tags along. And, like, you know, everyone deserves a friend like that. She's great. She is a great friend. She puts up with it, but she's also like, she's not like fully in team knives either. She's like, "Uh uh-huh. Yep. You mentioned that. Yep. I can't hear anything you're saying. Like, she's just a little bit over it, but she's still there. Yeah. She's She's still showing up. Yeah. I mean, we've all been there. Like when your friend has some new hyper fixation and now you're just along for the ride and you do not care. I feel like this is my life. I'm forever doing things I don't want to do for my mate. This is because all of your friends have ADHD. Mm. I certainly have it. And you put up with my nonsense all the time. So thank you. Always. Oh, yeah. Just when you're a teenager, especially, you're like obsessed with what you're obsessed with. It's so much bigger and harder to deal with and harder to regulate around than it is when you're older and can kind of contextualize maybe. Um, To get back to this idea of arrogance mm. and pretentiousness, right? Like being pretentious. Yeah. Like Stephen is an interesting embodiment of that like he is that kind of arrogant lead singer vibe you know he Uh he's got that whole attitude he's in charge he's the one with the ambition right like he's the one who wants to make it big he wants to be praised for their performance but then you've got that really deeply insecure vibe that runs underneath it and that's what gives you the pretense because he's like pretending to have it all together but he's like freaking out all the time like when he meets Ramona he's like she has to go she knows we suck and like (laughs) the crash in the boys scene when he's like freaking out and Scott has to slap him like I actually love that I love that their relationship is he freaks out and Scott's the one who pulls him back into like sanity it's one of my Mm. favorite little interactions because I feel like they really are good for each other in that way they are good friends they have a lot of room for each other to just be who they need to be with one another but he doesn't take an active interest in like fixing Scott or he's not a bestie you know no, he enables Scott. Like, he doesn't criticize him for the knife situation. He allows him sort of to get away with not pulling his weight in the band. Not in the way that Wallace really pulls him up on his nonsense. Like, Wallace is yeah. still supportive, but he's constantly, like, pushing Scott to be better. I think that's fair, yeah. Wallace is pretty great, actually. He's the MVP. Because he has to live with him. 
living with Scott Pilgrim would make me absolutely nuts. I would go feral. I would just, no. Yeah, like, I mean, he has the patience of a saint. I love that scene where it's just like Wallace, his two boyfriends, and then Scott in the bed all together. I'm like, how do you even explain this? to a boyfriend like you're bringing someone home being like you don't don't mind my roommate who also shares my bed yeah oh maybe it's just like everybody's broke that's the other thing about this movie that really felt right was that everybody is broke yeah everybody's working everybody has jobs he's shopping at goodwill um they're all wearing like normal actual clothing there's not like costuming going on yeah i really loved that it felt like they were actually people living in basements and little apartments in Toronto and share houses. Like it felt like they were at the stage that they were at. Yeah. It feels very true to life. It feels very accurate for being, you know, in that scene, being 22, being in this time period, which is why it's so Mm. funny that you've then got this little fantastical element of just this unexplained kind of video game magic. Like, no, like, Scott yes. is so good at fighting and everyone's just like, yeah, all right, whatever, roll with it, you know? Yeah, I kind of like that one, you know how I like, I like stories that have one thing that's just a bit special, just a bit extra, and this really falls into that category, right? Like, it is a video game, but it's just the one, it's the one device. Would that make this magic realism? Because no one ever addresses it. Like, it's just part of the world. I think it's not magical realism, but I think it's fabulism. I'll say it's fabulism, which is mm. like, magical realism's non-culturally associated cousin because magical realism really does fall into like the indigenous cultures more american and indigenous cultures yeah yeah so i would say fabulism but yeah i think it is i think it's i think it's fabulous i mean you could say it's sci-fi maybe because it's the real world with one tiny change that's yeah unexplained that no one acknowledges like no one thinks it's weird that's the thing that makes it different is if it was sci-fi there'd be some weird explanation for it yeah you'd have uh the debt the download the info dump Mm. of what's happening i did want to talk about a couple of exes i don't think that ramona gets closure with i don't yeah. think she gets real closure with the cotton yagi twins just because they just they just they were there and then they weren't there was no discussion between them there wasn't even a discussion of when she dated them did she date them concurrently or at the same time like when what also the least arrogant of all the exes because they don't really get a moment to be we don't yeah. really get any time with them they are hot though i will give them that they're very hot. We also didn't get any, like, more of Roxy's backstory or any mm. more. Like, it was, it seemed like a real blip. And I kind of wanted more out of that. And I don't feel like she got a good conclusion with that. I feel like she should have had a better. I wanted Roxy to get more closure from that. Mm. Not Ramona. Like, I feel like Ramona was like, okay, I figured something out about myself. I'm not bi. I'm not queer. That's okay. Or maybe she is, but she just didn't want to be in a relationship with a girl again. That's fine. But I wanted Roxy to be able to reckon with that. I was like, hey, where did, where's hers? I want her to have her, her moment, mm. her reckoning. Instead, she just got defeated. And Ramona really had to help Scott with that because he was like, I can't do it. I can't fight a girl. Yeah, they're soft, which is very funny. And also, he's just lazy. He doesn't want to fight anybody. He did punch her in the boob, though, before he knew she was a girl. So it isn't like with Todd just hitting knives for asking an annoying question. I have a weird, I have a lot of weird feelings about boys hitting girls in movies. Like that whole, I'm not afraid to hit a girl. Well, lots of people aren't. And that's the problem. Mm. Domestic violence doesn't happen in a void. Like, it's not rare. Lots of people hit girls and women. The point is we don't want them to. It's not that you should be afraid. It's that you should know better not to hit anyone. But anyway, I did touch on this earlier, but I think there was a nice bit of closure with the end where he says, the new lineup sounds great. The band looks good. I think you're doing the right thing. You sound great. And Steven Stills is like, yes. Mm. Like, he gets that vindication, that validation that he is wanted from Scott 
this whole time. Scott's never there. Neil plays his part anyway. He does his bass lines anyway. Kim is like in the band more than she's Scott's friend, I think. So that's really nice for her as well to have that. I really love that they get that that nice. I, I love that the band gets to go and move on and, and do something else. It's really good. Yeah. It's like everyone was in a holding period. And at the end of this, they all get to move on. Like everyone gets to move forward. There's impetus yeah. to continue rather than just stay in this hamster wheel that they're in like for most of this. Yeah, so everybody who is stuck in the Scott in the hamster wheel with Scott absolutely does get to move up, out out of it, move on. Some people were never in the hamster wheel. Like we don't need to see what Wallace is going to do because Wallace was never in the hamster wheel or Stacy really. And Envy left before the the movie even started really. So, but yeah, I think that's it for me. I'm done with my arrogance. <laughs> Well, I wish I'd had more closure in some areas, but I think that Scott and Ives and Scott and Kim's were the best. I think the closure Scott gets after fighting all of the evil exes and is like, well, I still want to do this thing with you. Like, I fought for you, but also I still want to do this thing. Like, I still want to try is really lovely. It's not saying, like, we have to be together forever, but it's like, can I tag along? Yeah, and I think it's also important that he acknowledges he doesn't want to be an evil ex. Like, that is not what he wants. And I Mm. think for a lot of his past relationships, he was the evil ex. Like, he was the bad eggs yeah. right so this is a good closure for him with himself and the kind of person he wants to be yeah like when he's in the desert the second time and he goes oh i think i learned something which was yeah. great except i'm dead <laughs> sometimes you do learn that a little too late but sometimes you get second chances and that's really good yeah um do you have any i i thought instead of doing like marginalia we should just say our favorite quotes oh there's so many i think everything wallace says brings me such joy i just love his (laughs) delivery as well you know when he's like at the lucas lee bit and he's like scott evil x fight like he's so blase about it it just cracks me up and he's like amazing what we can do with computers these days i say that all the time um and then you know the date that scott and ramona have you know bread makes you fat great quote i wrote a song Mm -hmm. about you can't wait to hear it when it's finished (laughs) (laughs) it's so good it's one of my favorite lines because he's like finished <laughs> and it's just great oh, to see someone he really admires wanting more from him yes let's have more yeah. of that please <laughs> um it's not so much a quote but when ramona's listing all the teas she have i feel like that that is me when my friends come over i'm like what kind of tea do you want i've got this one and this one and this one and this one and this one. <laughs> so many teas and of course our favorite quote the cleaning lady she does she does I want to give a special shout out to when Crash and the Boys comes on and Kim Pine says they have a girl drummer. All of the drummers in this film are women. All of them are girls. Mm. Every single drummer that you see is a girl. So Kim is not the only one. She is the like one of many. It's just such a great little, I don't know, Easter egg, something mm. to notice. I also had, I'm a huge fan. Why wouldn't you be as a quote that I really loved? <laughs> so good. So good. I just want to have that level of confidence all of the time. And the thing that we say all the time is gelato isn't vegan. That's something gelato that in my house. Vegan. <laughs> Chicken isn't vegan. Milk and eggs. <laughs> he got sent off to Vegan Academy, which I love as like a concept. And the way that he cracks it at Kim when she's like being a bit sassy about it, and he's like, if you knew the science, maybe I'd listen to a word you say. It's like Twitter discourse in human form. <laughs> Oh my god, he's a Twitter guy. That's what he is. He's that guy on Twitter. Miscellaneous Twitter man. Yeah. Uh, and pretty much everything Roxy said, too. Um, all of her comebacks. Back off Hasbian and I'm a little bifurious. I use <laughs> bifurious mm. all the time. What a good phrase. Yeah, the world fair is terrible. too. 
and we should be mad about it. Amen. Yeah. I read lots more quotes, but they uh, they met with an accident, so I didn't get to... <laughs> They're not, they're not safe to look at or see. So you'll have to just trust me that I actually did my homework. Sorry, I listeners. Mean, there's so many great quotes in the film. If you haven't seen it, please watch it. It's incredible. It is. It's so good. Do you have a character you want to spotlight? I am going to spotlight Ramona because I feel like she just came to Canada wanting to mind her own business and then she got dragged into this mess, sort of against her will. Mm-hmm. Like this evil ex-league was formed all because Scott took an interest in her, basically. Which just seems like really extreme for someone who's just trying to get by and trying to improve themselves and find their own way in the world. And that's a hard thing to do. And, you know, she's got to make new friends and make a new life and just get on with stuff. So I just thought I wanted to spotlight her. And I really love that she gets to a place where she is also making closure with herself and her future. Like she's ready to move on with her life. And that's an important place to be at. So, yeah, Ramona. How about you? I chose Kim Pine to spotlight because I love Kim. I've loved Kim since the first time I watched the movie, however many millions of years ago it was. Uh, something about red hair and freckles and brown Aww. eyes will do it for me every time. She's just, just adorable. Alison Pill is adorable. And she's been in a heap of other things, too. She's a great actress. Um, But, yeah, Kim Pine. She's a fantastic character. She is in that weird space where you have to work with your ex and you don't think that they know that they hurt you, but you just kind of have to get on with it and deal with it. But you're also Mm. just not okay with him doing that to other people. So she has to be a little bit like she cares, but she doesn't want to care too much. Cool. And she's hurting, but she doesn't want to like show it because she doesn't want to be vulnerable to that again. And there's just something really beautiful about her performance the whole time she's very snarky she's very deadpan she's very over it and I also think like you can really see that she's a person with you know she's very vulnerable and and very hurt by things but she's doing her best to kind of take it on the chin and and get on with things because she wants to be in this band so I just love Kim Pine she's the best and she doesn't want to give Scott any more power over her right like if she showed that he bugged her in any way or that she was still hurting about it that gives him power and she doesn't want that so she's just yeah. trying to get on and she's amazing like she's a great drummer good for her yeah she is a great drummer they all learned their instruments um so that they could play accurately except Michael Sarah who's actually quite a good musician had to learn to play badly which i think is quite funny <laughs> <laughs> But I love that um, in most of the in most of the concerts, in most of the shows, you can actually see everybody playing as they would play. With the exception of the Clash of Demon Head, there is a guitar and there is no guitarist. Where is the guitarist? Yeah, I can hear a guitar. It bugs me every time. <laughs> every time. Shall we email them and ask for clarity? <laughs> I think it's just like a thing that we have to accept is never going to be resolved. That's the lack of closure I get from this movie. Where is the Clash of Demon Head's guitarist? It's just a track. They just play a track. It's fine. <laughs> oh. All right. I'll accept that. On their, you know, bricky iPod from 2007. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, I think that's it. Um, Thanks for joining us today. We'll be we talking about Scott Pilgrim. I had fun. Did you have fun? Oh, it's always fun. Love it. Love talking about this with you. And we've watched it together recently as well. So it was lovely to revisit it. I know. It was really fun. I was thinking of how much fun we had. I was like, oh, I need another vacation. <laughs> I can't yeah. descend on you yet. You've just moved house, but it just made me oh, really yeah. think happily about our time that we got to spend together. I'm probably insanely busy until April, so <laughs> that's okay. Full calendar. There's a cabin. There's a cabin somewhere in the woods with my name on it for at least a weekend in January or February. You've uh, speaking it. of which, we're gonna take a little summer break. I think. 
Yeah, we're taking a bit of time off for the summer, and then we'll be back with Wayward Son by Rainbow Roll, second book in the Simon Snow trilogy. We can't wait. It's going to be great. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. Um, so if we don't show up in your feed for a few weeks, don't panic. We'll be back. We're just taking a little breather, going outside and touching some grass like we've been told to do on the internet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and soaking up all of the sun that we can while the summer is here, however brief. Ideal. Well, thank you so much. No, thank you. I'm so glad we got to talk about this movie. I love this movie so much. And I especially love chatting about stuff with you. You make it all so fun. Yay. All right. Well, have a lovely day. (laughs) You too. I'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining Gen D and Gen V for this one shot. Martin Ailey Pod is written, edited, and produced by Gen D and Gen V. With additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoy listening, please rate and review the show on your podcasting platform or choice. Feel free to write an email to say hi. The email address is hello at martinalypod.com. The intro and outro music is by Scott Buckley. The full show notes and additional content can be found at www.marginalypod.com.